Pastor Jim, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to step in for Pastor Bruce, who's with a friend for, a, I believe it's a missions conference, men's conference, I can't remember which, in um, Texas, and I hope everybody understands, it is really hard for him to agree to go to those things, and he gets asked quite a bit and says no way more than he says yes, and that's probably going to keep going, maybe even multiply, because your senior pastor is a published author. I'm so proud. Aren't you proud of him? I'm so proud of him. This is such a good man, such a humble leader, such a loving, caring, uh, just nurturing pastor, wonderful teacher, and now he's an author. This is the resilient pastor, how to remain effective and finish well in ministry. Bruce Garner is the author's title on here. And um, this is a great book. I started it on Friday, and you'll enjoy it. Even if you're not a pastor, it'll help you understand uh, how to pray for pastors. Because one thing, over the years, one of the funniest things, I think it's funny anyway, the most oft question I get asked by parishioners is, so what do you do all day? <laughs> now I know the assumption behind that is I don't do very much, and uh, that's okay. Uh, I don't think you do my, very much either, so there. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, this would really give you insight how to pray for your pastors and to help other people know how to pray for their pastors. Um, His personality is just ringing loud and clear through here. You will love reading this book. We are going to order just 100 at a discounted rate. They'll be available when we get them. I'm going to order them tomorrow. They'll be available for just 10 bucks a piece. Hopefully, they're here by next Sunday, and uh, you can get those. Of course, you can order on Amazon and all that and whatever, but we want to help you out if you're interested. Maybe you could convince him to sign a copy. I don't know. He's probably not into that. Um, But that'll be cool. How many of you remember the playground, elementary school? You guys all went to elementary school, right? Yeah. You remember the playground? Uh, Talk to the people next to you. And what were you doing at 10 years old? That's basically, that's usually fourth grade. What were you doing on the playground in fourth grade? Go ahead. Talk to the people next to you. What were you doing on the playground in fourth grade? Okay, that sounds like you were having some kind of fun. I'm a big fan of the playground. I'm a huge fan. I I will sit I will park I will park my car out here. And uh, if there's kids playing on the playground, laughing and playing and and just having a good old time, I'll sit for a couple minutes, watch them. I just love the playground. And I remember kindergarten. I was in kindergarten, 1970. The hippity hop debuted in 1970 when I was in kindergarten. So I'm in the compound, you know, I'm behind the cage, you know, the kindergarten compound. And I'm playing with the hippity hop. And I was one of the coolest kids ever because it was brand new. It was awesome. You guys remember the hippity hop, right? So then you're, you're in kindergarten as you kind of grow and you're anticipating first grade. You're looking through that cage and I'm going to be there one day. Won't that be awesome? And, and you can't wait. And out there, they're playing with one of the most majestic creations in the history of the playground. <laughs> there it is. Right there. The big red playground ball. And in... First, second, and third grade, 
I'm hitting this thing mostly. I, I play a lot of handball, you know, a big wall on the playground, hit the, get people out, you like it. But then around third grade, you start looking at the other side of the playground where the fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, and they're doing one of the most glorious things ever, and you can't wait to do it, right? At least I couldn't. They're throwing this awesome thing at people. It's just like as hard as you can. You're playing, we called it trench. They call it our nation ball. They call it trench here. You know, it's bigger than dodgeball. First, second grade, you're rolling the dodgeball. You know, now you're hucking it as hard as you can, you know, trying to knock people off their feet and stuff. And we played, we played uh, kickball and that's how you got people out. This is a glory. This, this should be like, like that on a trophy stand. But then I got into junior high and I really started liking this game called volleyball. And um, I, I mean, I started liking it in fourth grade because girls played and Karen Bagel played and I wanted to be around Karen Bagel. But then, then I just liked the game. I liked the game. And I learned this game. And uh, I learned it quite a bit and got decent at it. And, you know, it went from just kind of like what most people start out playing, picnic ball, just hitting it back and forth to doing, you know, pass set hit, at least trying to. And then I played high school and I played a lot of beach in my college age. This looks messy. Um, and uh, I, I, I like this game. And I went from just picnic ball to pass set hit to running plays, you know, X3, five with a B. You all know what that is, right? No, that's advanced, that's power volleyball, that's fun. Greg Biggins is here, he knows what that is. But then I got a little older, a little slower, and a little less determined, so I took up coaching. <laughs> and even the sight of this clipboard for some of the girls that might have played with me before is kind of like PTSD. But if I do this, oh, now they're freaking out. They're like, because we've missed plays and I would slap the clipboard. I wasn't doing it to be, in, I just, that was just me. And so, like, we look at all that stuff and we kind of, it's fun to laugh about it and everything, but it shows something that's true about humanity that's also true about our spiritual life. Life is progressing. It's learning and growing and that's just normal and natural. And even really, if you think about it, so much more so in this day and age just because of technology, we're constantly learning new things and growing in ways maybe we, you know, we don't crave like I did on the playground. Sometimes we have to, but we're just learning and growing. It's what we do. And so we're in this series called Table Talk where we illustrate the, the progression of the Christian life like members of a family at a table. Outside the family, but invited, are unbelievers. I was an unbeliever be- before I was a believer. I was in one condition and, and entered a new condition the day I put my faith in Jesus Christ, put my faith in or believed in. What I understood when I was 16 years old a little while ago, what I understood is that Jesus does for me what I can't do for myself. He forgives my sin. You can't forgive your own sin. And you certainly can't work your way out to perfection to have all your sins, all your offenses that that you've ever done to anybody and to God. You You can't get those forgiven on your own. You need outside help. And that outside help is provided to you by God and the person of Jesus Christ who paid your penalty on a cross and forgives your sins. And that's God's economy. He allows for that. There's another thing you can't do without help, and that's get to heaven because you don't have resurrection power. Nobody has ever 
raised themselves from the dead and ushered themselves into heaven. But Jesus will do that for you because he resurrected. And our faith is to put our lives that we want to control ourselves, that we want to keep in our own hands, in the hands of Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life. When you believe in that, you cease being an unbeliever. You go from that condition to a wholly new condition called believer, and you come to the table, and you start out there as an infant. And Pastor Rob did a wonderful job explaining to us what that means last week when he got to preach. And uh, that was awesome to hear from him. And then today I get to talk to you about the child chair. You advance from the child chair into the young adult chair and from the young adult chair into the parent chair where you recycle yourselves and invest in the lives of other people. And so we all can understand progression, but I want to take this down to just the easiest level. Do you remember tying your shoes? Learning to tie your shoes. What an amazing life-transforming event. It truly was. It changed your life. You couldn't do it one day. Then you could do it. You wanted to do it. You couldn't. Somebody helped you. You practiced and practiced and practiced. And now it's just normal and natural part of your life. But one day, just, man, it was, it was magical. And so how do children grow? First of all, I want you to know that the spiritual growth toward maturity is the biblical expectation. In first or second Peter three eighteen, I forgot the first part, but that's okay. It just it, it tells us to grow in grace. And then in our passage today, if you open up to Ephesians four, Paul is writing Ephesians, by the way, is a really cool explanation of the Christian life. And it starts out with the first three chapters affirming and explaining and esteeming the majesty of what it means to be a believer. The work Christ did on our behalf, what we have because of Christ. And then four, five, and six is basically, since you have all this in Christ, go on to live this way. And chapter four and five really emphasize the Christian life. And in verse uh, 13, it says this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature and fullness of Christ. So that, remember, we're talking about the child chair, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so there's this expectation here in Ephesians 4 and in Peter and other places in the Bible where the expectation is your spiritual life, it's the same as your human life. The expectation is that you would grow. Imagine if I took the hippity hop out to play kickball. You know, they go to pitch it. Uh, maybe. It's not right. It's just not right. It, you advance, right? So the expectation is grow. I'm going to pick that up because it's going to bother some of you. Some of your brains are going to go, that's a mess, Jim. Cut that out. Okay. So biblical expectation is that you grow. And so we're trying to move you around the table, to move people around the table who become followers of Christ 
They're infants. They need all the help in the world. Children, a little less help. They're becoming self-feeders. Young adults who are pouring into the world and parents who are sharing their faith, seeing new people come to Christ and helping, helping people grow. Do you remember learning to tie your shoes though? It was more than learning, wasn't it? Like, it wasn't like, did you read the 100-page book on how to tie your shoes and the history of shoelaces and tying your shoes? No, nobody did that. You had a fixed determination in your heart and mind that you wanted to learn how to tie your shoes. Somebody helps you learn, and you implanted that in your life. And so what I would say to you, that if you want to grow out of the childlike things, the first thing you're going to have to do is hold on to childlike things that promote growth. Because you had that when you learned to tie your shoes. You had curiosity, but you also had determination. In that moment, you loved to learn and you had the joy of discovery. Isn't that a wondrous thing? You have it yourself. You share it with your kids. You take your, your two-year-old to Disneyland. They don't quite get it. You take your four-year-old to Disneyland. They're like, wow. The joy of discovery. On Thursday, I took Pastor Byron and Pastor Rob, who are Orange County rookies, and I said, hey, I'm going to take you to lunch. I'm going to take you for a surprise. And while we were um, heading to lunch, it started a little earlier, and I thought the Blue Angels practice was going on. Neither one of them had ever seen such a thing. They're like, oh, awesome, you know. And, And the joy of discovery. When you learn new things, it takes more than just information. You hold on to those things and you're going to grow in your spiritual life similarly to how you do in your child life, in your young adult life, in your adult life, because we are always growing. You grow by implanting truth. You grow by implanting truth. You implant it. You don't just learn information. You take something and you make it a part of who you are. That's what you did with tying your shoes. That's what you did with riding a bike. And we know how to do these things and they come normal and natural to us. It's, it's, it's like Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 2. He says, like newborn babes, babes. He doesn't say because you are babies. He says, just like newborn babies. So like the spirit of our intention is to desire the sincere milk of the word. Why? So that you will grow thereby. It takes intention It takes passion. It takes those things that a child has, curiosity, determination, love for learning, the joy of discovery. And you want that personal determination to grow. I really think that's where it is. In 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, study to show yourself approved, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I think that verse is intimidating to some people because it says the word study. Or maybe because it says rightly dividing, rightly being able to tell right from wrong. But really, don't let it be intimidating to you any more than riding a bike or tying your shoes or playing kickball. There's a process. You learn, you grow, you practice, you fail, you persevere, you win. You succeed. And maybe you go back a little bit and then you go back and you just don't give up. It's a personal determination to grow is how you're going to start your growth. If you're in the child chair or not, 
wherever you are, if you, if you want to grow, you got to be determined to grow. And then you're going to do that together with others. How did you learn to tie your shoes or ride a bike? Somebody showed you. Man, do you remember riding a bike first time? I don't know about you, I fell. I fell. I wanted to quit so bad. My stepdad wouldn't let me. And he just kept showing me and he kept pushing me down the road and pushing me down the road. And then that amazing, wondrous, miraculous feeling of being able to stay up on the bike. Same in your spiritual life. It's the same. The process looks different. It may not be quite as necessarily fun and liberating and awesome as riding a bike is, at least in my opinion. I love riding the bike. But you do that together with others. Somebody showed you. And that's why we have worship services, groups, fellowship events, discipleship. It's so we can grow together. So we're going to hold on to childlike things that promote growth. But number two, we're going to let go of childish things that interfere with growth. Things interfere with growth. I was showing you that you can't really play a good kickball with a hippity hop. What about this? What if I... Service. Let's play volleyball. Let's go. Here we go. Makes sense. I got to let this go. Somebody offered me 20 bucks to sit on this, on the stage. I'm going to let go of childish things. Okay. I got to advance. I got to go to something that works. I got to let go of the red ball. I won't play ball with volleyball either. I got to let go of the hippity hop. I got to come in here and I got to, I got to use the right tool and I got to do things right. I got to go elbow up, thumb down, right? Everybody knows that. And, um, thank you. Thanks. (laughs) That's my friend Byron. Okay. At least someone's laughing. Okay. So you got to let go of the things that interfere with growth and that's sin. And Ephesians 4 and 5 talk a lot about it. And it's, it's, here's the goal here. You're going to let go of childish things. It's not enough just to put them behind. And I think sometimes when we look at the Christian faith and we think it's just rules, it, it, it becomes like this legalistic, task-oriented thing. And that's not God's intent. His intent is that you would grow and mature into the fullness of life that he has for you. And to be able to function in that area, you need discernment, the ability to tell right from wrong. You need to be able to know what to get rid of. And if you start in verse 21 of Ephesians 4, we're going to read a little bit here, but follow with me and I'll, I'll summarize after. Assuming that you have heard about him. So assuming that you're a believer, assuming that you've crossed that line of faith one day, verse 22, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And sin is all around us. Jesus said that there would be an increase of lawlessness as the as we go through the last days. And it's all around. And he lists some things here. Why would God do this? People have accused God of being some kind of cosmic killjoy and really nothing could be further from the truth because the truth is sin isn't good for you. That's all it is. He loves you so much to, he loves you enough to tell you don't do these things because it's not good for you. I mean, look at him. Think, think about, if I review these, like lying. I mean, if you're the liar, maybe it's good for you, maybe. But if you're the one lied to, it's not. Anger. Theft. Corrupt talk. And I want to talk, I want to I just pause there for a second because I'm a little bit worried that in the Christian world, we are becoming tolerant of what's going on in the society with corrupt talk cussing to be specific. And I want you to know though, the Bible has a serious stance about, uh, about what comes out of our mouth, that it should be honoring and edifying and encouraging is what it says here. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Do you know Jesus said, and like, these are the words of Jesus. So I'm going to take them serious. In Matthew five, Jesus said, if you call your brother a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. And we have politicians, I don't understand this, talking in undignified ways from a podium in the news. It's normal in some music. It's normal on TV. It's normal in movies. Let's not make it normal for us because that's not a good representation of Christ. And that's what it says. And, and you might think, well, they're just words. So Dallas Willard was the head of uh, philosophy at... Uh, USC is a Christian. He wrote a great book called The Divine Conspiracy. It's very long. You should read it. You can show where he talks about contempt. And he's talking about how bad this kind of corrupting talk is for society. Because it's an attitude of contempt. And so maybe it'll mark the people outside of the church, but let's not let it mark us. Let's not tolerate it. Let's not excuse it. Let's glorify God in the way we live and especially in the way we talk. I'll continue. That is a little bit of a soapbox. Okay, bitterness. Bitterness is a spirit of unforgiveness. Who's that good for? That's not good for anybody. Not the target or the deliverer. Wrath, clamor, slander, malice. Slander and malice are tearing down the reputation of other people. Malice is doing it with some intense and uh, very intense intentions. It's bad. Sexual immorality. Biblically, any kind of sex outside of marriage between... Uh, a man and woman, any and all sex out of God-ordained, God-sanctioned sexual activity is not to be part of our lives. Impurity, covetousness. And by the way, in case you're thinking that I'm reading this in judgment, saying I'm perfect, I got all these down. Have you seen the new Corvette? That thing's beautiful. I can't look at one without wanting one. Who's rushing out to buy me one? I like the white one. I struggle with these things too. Filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. And what, what Paul is encouraging us here and goes on into chapter 5 to encourage even more is just get reject the things that God says are bad for you. They're bad for you. Your heavenly father doesn't want what's, what's bad for you. He wants what's good for you. So he's telling you, get rid of these things. And sin is really, it's a serious thing. 
ultimately in eternity, it's this serious. Chapter 5, verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is, so who is, who has a lifestyle of, who has the habit of sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Remember at the beginning, I was talking to you about the forgiveness, the part of what Christ does for you. What he's trying to do is take away from your life the things that interfere with your relationship between him and God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And we usually teach that in this eternal concept that if you have sin, you're separated from God forever. You don't get to go to heaven. You go instead to a bad place called hell. And that's because of your sin. But sin kills things here. And the number one thing it kills here is the same thing it kills between you and God for eternity and its relationship. Like our relationships can be so broke. Like think of a broken relationship you've ever had. Maybe you're in one now and I'm sorry about that. But what's breaking it? I'll bet you dollars to donuts. It's sin. It's some kind of sin. And we want love and we want peace and we want liberty and we want joy. And God wants that for us too. So he's saying, take these things out of your life. And we need to have a certain kind of discernment that understands truth well enough to get rid of the things the Bible says we should get rid of, the things the Bible calls sin. And so we want to orient ourselves so well with truth. We want to be able to discern. I was talking with uh, kids on Thursday night, and it just popped in my head. And so this is hard to explain, but like, There's a lot of conspiracy theories in the world. Have you noticed this lately? Like there's a lot. And there's so much news and there's so many messages. And like, but I was, I was just kind of like theorizing. What if like COVID, COVID's weird and it's like, nobody likes it. But some people really don't like it and they invent things and I don't get it. I, I, I don't personally get it. I don't play in that playground, but it's okay. But if you took all the news just any news that said, you know, COVID's bad, COVID's good, COVID's evil, COVID, whatever. And you put all the news in 24 type print, no repeats, all just original. And you listed them on each one of these panels around the room. How many of them would we fill up? You just invent that in your own mind. It's more than one. I've heard at least one's worth. I'm not even on social media. How do you know what to do? Right there. Right there. This is truth. And there's so many other things besides COVID to think about and to ponder and decide about. And how do you how do you, how do you how do you make sense of any of it? You do it with truth. And you need to be willing to be taught truth. It's like going to the dentist. I have a wonderful dentist. Somebody texted me. I'm not even kidding you. After the last service, this is hilarious to me. Hi, can I have your dentist info? I'm looking for a good one. (laughs) So I like my dentist. And I go to the dentist. And she, I was there like three weeks ago. And her name, in case you want a reference, her name is Serena 
Ta, T-A, she's wonderful. She took the place of um, our retired dentist. I, I love going to her office, and she does a really great job. That pause was so you can write it down. Okay, and so go in there, and she says, hey, uh, what kind of toothbrush are you using? And I go, I think a soft one. She goes, uh, I don't think so. Um, well, you need to start using a soft one. Get rid of, oh, I get home, it's a medium. And I'm going to listen to her. I'm, I got rid of it. You know why? Because she's looking out for what's best for me. She's keeping me from having to go back there and get some kind of funky surgery I don't want to get. And so we do this kind of stuff all the time in our lives. We get help. We search for discernment. We make good decisions based on our own well-being. And God is coming to you saying, based on your own well-being, don't tell lies. Don't be angry. Don't be covetous. Don't be foolish. Get rid of that stuff. And so we have to be willing. We have to then be submitted to and led by that truth and spirit. It's a big, big thing to consider, but really it's not any bigger than the dentist. It's super important. It's your top priority in your life. But I think sometimes what we do is we elevate the spiritual life so far beyond just like what we normally do, that we, it, it's almost, it almost becomes almost sort of some kind of cop-out. It's so far beyond little old me can't do that. And I don't think that's how the, the Bible is written. The intention here is that normal people like you and me can take what the Bible says and make it a part of our lives, can make it real. And so we're gonna have to hold on to the things that help us grow. We're gonna want it just impart truth. We're going to let go of the things that interfere with growth. And number three, we're going to add the things that promote growth. Add the things that promote growing. We're going to grow by imitating Christ. Look at it back to four, 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood. So what's it mean to be mature? to the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ. And then you skip down to verse 15. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, even Christ. Verse uh, Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And so the pattern isn't a bunch of do this, do that, do this, do that. A bunch of sterile, boring academic study of the word of God, where you're just looking at ink on a page, you're looking at a life-changing message from a holy God who loves you. And he's saying, I want what's best for you. Not just in heaven, but right now, he encourages us to have abundant life. And so we're gonna grow by imitating this Christ. And Ephesians 4.19 is kind of our really simple explanation of what a disciple is. A disciple is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and on mission with Jesus. The verse says, Christ calling his disciples, follow me and I will make you. He's gonna turn us into something, fishers of men. He was a fisher of men. He was on a mission to reach men and women with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to, to, to turn them from being unbelievers into believers. Our goal is to be like him. In third grade, I wanted to be Bob Greasy. 
They won the Super Bowl. He was the quarterback. They were an undefeated season. They were awesome. They were in the news. They were on TV. And I had a Bob Greasy football. I had pictures on my wall. I had a Bob Greasy jersey. I think I wore that thing four out of six days. And on Sunday, I probably wore it again. And then um, I just was wearing it all the time. I watched on TV whenever. I wanted to be Bob Greasy. When we played football on the playground, I was going to be the quarterback. When I signed up for flag football at Huntington Beach Rec Department, I wanted to be the quarterback. He was someone to imitate. And so I I, I did the things that I thought Bob Greasy was doing. And if you look back at that list from Ephesians 4, there's some positives. Therefore, having put away, verse 25, all a falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And it goes on. I read it once already. Here's what he said to put on. Truth. Some kind of healthy biblical anger. I'm not sure anybody can explain it, but I'll tell you this. It's not the anger that Jesus had at the temple. If you can equate yourself with that, I think you're shooting a little high. Be careful. Hard work, generosity, love that we have a generous church, love that we got a group of grandmas who go serve breakfast at Ronald McDonald House, love that we have Welcome Center people that show up at 730 to give their time, love that people generously donate their funds so that ministry can happen here and around the world. Add to your life encouraging, edifying words, kindness, compassion, forgiveness, loving, not being partners with the sons of disobedience, adding what's good, right, and true, wisdom, gratitude. How? You find and follow Jesus. That's where it starts. That's what it said at the beginning, was that we are gonna, we are gonna invest our lives into being like Christ. And how are you to be like him? I think it's important to catch two ways to be like Christ. First is in his character. Because it says, like him in everything that is true. He just exuded truth. It was who he was. And he exuded love. He's, it, it, love and truth, it just character, character. But then those things motivated behavior. And so when we look at Christ, we say, hey, man, I want to be like you in your character. I want, it, I want who you are to be part of who I am. So we follow Christ. We submit to and follow the leader. You remember follow the leader on the playground, right? I mean, the game falls apart if people aren't following the leader. You know, you've been the leader, you know, the kid goes chasing the butterfly. Hey, Stuart, get back in here. I said Stuart because I don't know anybody named Stuart anymore, but like, okay, good. Um, Anybody in here named Stuart? See? Okay, so. And here's the amazing thing. I I ponder this so much because it just blows me away. Pastor Melton used to call me the beach kid because all I ever wanted to do was go to the beach. Besides be at church, I just wanted to be at the beach. Playing volleyball, just doing my thing, right? And like, that's pretty much all I did, theoretically anyway, from 16 to 25 when I got married. I just wanted to go to the beach. Those awesome January heat waves, 80 degrees and all that, you guys are staying home watching the 
the Rose Parade, I'm going down to play beach volleyball. You know why I did that? I caught this spark of what it was to play volleyball. Well, kind of two ways, I got to admit. In fourth grade, I just wanted to play volleyball because Karen Bagel was playing volleyball, and I liked Karen Bagel, so that was cool. But then the McDonald's by our house over there on Edinger used to have these paintings of beach volleyball up on the wall in kind of the back sitting room. And I would sit there for lunch or dinner or whatever and sit by those paintings and think, when I grow up, I want to do that. And oddly enough, as odd as it sounds, that was a pattern for me. But then I ran into, when I became a Christian, I just ran into wonderful people I wanted to be like. Jerry Thorpe was like our, you know, our camp speaker, and we loved having him. And he would visit in our pulpit, and some of you have heard him before, and he's just a wonderful communicator. And one time up at camp, I think it was my senior year, I'd been saved two years. I was thinking I'm going to go into ministry, and I'm like, hey, if I wanted to go into ministry, what kind of things do I got to do? And the main thing he told me was, Jim, if, if you just, just read everything you can, because leaders are readers. You just got to read. You got to learn and grow. And from that time, like I became a reader. I've, I've read a bunch of books since college. And some of you guys would go, whoa, that's a lot. But what I've read isn't that many compared to like Mark Batterson, who read, he says, he read 3,000 books before he wrote his first one. So I'm nowhere near that. But I looked at Jerry Thorpe, and then I talked to him about preaching. I said, are you ever scared when you go preach? He goes, not really, Jim. He goes, I'm a little bit nervous. He goes, You're a, you, you play sports? I go, yeah. He goes, it's kind of like before a game. And like that meant a lot to me, and I've actually passed it on to other people. And then my, my youth pastor, he taught me something really easy, simple. Some of you probably do it. But he's like, you know, I, I wanted to be like him. And he, he says, Jim, if you want to grow, you know, you want to grow in wisdom, just read Proverbs every day. There's one that correlates. You know, there's 31. There's 31 dates. So... 31 days in a month, read that. And so I imitated him. And I walk around and I find people and I, I, I want to be like them in, 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 in ways. I want to have the nurture and care of Bruce Garner. I want to have the expressive love of Gregory Pierce. I want to have the honor. Pastor Rob just treats people so precious. I want to have the kindness, patience, and grace of uh, Pastor Byron. And I look at these people and I just think, how can I be like you? And I see some of you in the room. I'm like, I want to be like you. But here's the amazing thing. We're invited into that. I was that beach kid. I was 16 years old. Who am I? Like, who are you? Like, like who are you? Who are you to be in the kingdom of God? Who am I to be in the kingdom of God? Like, I'm in the kingdom of God. I'm a little beach kid. All I want to do is play volleyball my whole life. Like, who am I? Who are you? And then God says, hey, Jim, I, I think maybe you should be in ministry. And I'm like, who am I? How? Where? What? Like, do you know we're all that? Like, we're, we're, we, we all, we don't deserve five seconds in the kingdom of God. But God comes to us and goes, you're in. But it doesn't stop there. He goes, you're in and you, we're going to do work together. I'm like, really? Who? What? How? And you're doing work. And it's so fun to stand up here and look at, you, know, you serve here, you serve there, you do this, you do that. But it's not just serving, it's just encouraging one another, being together in church, celebrating, giving an encouraging word, shaking a hand. You know, you might have sh- shook the hand of someone today who had the most horrible, awful, depressing, sad week ever, and that the highlight of their week is an hour and 10 minutes at Crosspoint, and you just made that great. And maybe you don't think anything about it, but you should. 
if you want to grow, if you want to get into your Christian life like a child gets into tying shoes or riding a bike and making it just a normal, natural part of your life after some struggle, after some determination, you're going to have to hold on to those childlike things in relation to your faith. Let go of the childish things that interfere and add those things that promote growing. You're just going to have to do that. It's not optional, but you get to. It's a privilege. But let me show you, if you go back Ephesians 4, I think there's a really important thing we all need to be aware of. And just catch the context that all of us participate in if we truly want to grow. Verse 11. By the way, pay particular attention to the words that indicate community. I'll try and emphasize them. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints. That's a plural. You can circle that. For the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's the church. You can circle that. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into the Christ, from whom the whole body, again, it's the church, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, wherein each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And our context for growth as children, and I maintain that we keep a childlike perspective through our whole faith, is in community. It's not a mistake that we chose table to be a family table. If we're anything at Crosspoint, we're a church family. And the beauty of being a loving, trusting joyous family is the opportunity to do things together. One thing we get to do together is grow. So I want to invite you to bow your heads and just kind of think with me a minute here. Maybe you're not a believer today. Maybe, Maybe you're confused about it. I went to church here for right around six months hearing the gospel basically every week before I understood. It just was so confusing to me. But I understood my need one day, and I asked Christ to do for me what I couldn't do for myself, to forgive me of my sins and to take me to heaven when I die. And so I was led to pray a prayer that sounded something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me and take me to heaven. Be my Savior and my Lord today. And it wasn't the prayer that was the magic. It was the heart. It was the determination and the understanding that I just can't do those things on my own, but he'll do them for me. And then I've had seasons in my life more often than I'd care to admit where I was stagnant, where my commitment to get rid of things that I knew were bad for me was soft, or my determination to add the things that I know are good for me was weak.
if you're in that spot, could you just renew your faith with Christ today and just say, you know, just like my shoe came untied or I fell on my bike, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep trying. God, I need your help, but help me keep going. And then we've invited you into to service and maybe you haven't grown into it yet. Could this be your time? Could this be your year? Could this be your season where you say, God, it's time for me to step into something? I'm just like Jim. I'm not worthy. But I'm going to step out in faith to be used by you.